0: Good day and welcome to the Driving You Crazy podcast. I am Denver 7 traffic anchor. Emmy Award entered. Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. I've uh, entered. I couldn't enter the podcast into the Emmy Awards, Joseph, because, well, there's no audio category in the Emmy Awards. You have to have some kind of video attached to it. So I, w- w- if we if we set up a GoPro in here or do a video webcast of some sort... Then we could enter it for a video Emmy. I think that's coming. I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph
1: Peters. I mean, it's coming, man. Like we have to set up the GoPros in here and give the people what they want—an interactive video podcast.
0: But that's the beauty of, of of radio slash podcasting is that it's theater of the mind. You don't have to watch it. You can listen to it anywhere you are. When you're at your workbench. I listen to a lot of my podcasts while I'm on my workbench doing stuff in the garage or fixing something or hanging something on the wall, one of the myriad of things that my wife wants me to hang on the wall. That's when I'm listening to podcasts.
1: I like to listen to my podcasts when I'm walking the dog or washing dishes or cooking.
0: Yeah, see, and you don't want to see it. You just want to hear it. Exactly. See? so that Otherwise, we'd just be doing a TV show, and we already do that enough already, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me start with a frustrated Twitter follower of mine who commented to one of my tweets after I tweeted out another of a long series of crashes on Friday morning. Because on my Twitter feed, it's called at Denver 7 traffic. And all morning long, I'm sending out pictures uh, and information about the crashes and the other issues that are going on on the morning commute. It's part of my daily duties of doing my my traffic reporting uh, in the mornings. So he says, way to drive, people. Turn in your license to the cops when they arrive and let them rip it up. Oh. It's a little strong. Okay. I get his point, but it's a little strong. Uh, it's maybe hard to
1: tear up that plastic. It is. You would need to get some
0: scissors. That or the Hulk. Um, yes. He could He could probably do it. Or maybe even Hulk Hogan could do it. Maybe not in his present state. Um, <laughs> maybe we've been going about this all wrong, though, Joseph. What we need to do is instead of spending hundreds of million dollar, uh, of millions of dollars, in in widening roads or fixing roads or that sort of thing. Maybe we should spend that money on preventing crashes and then getting people to preserve the gap. And therefore, if we don't have crashes, traffic will always flow freely and we won't have to worry ever about it doesn't matter how many lanes we have. If traffic is flowing freely, right. it will. It, it doesn't matter. But that's the exact argument for self-driving cars,
1: right? Is that yes. They will know what the gap is. They'll understand how to maintain that gap over a long distance of time. They'll maintain the same level of speed, and there won't be any crashes anymore because everybody will be doing the exact same thing. And that's kind of what we're saying here is, yeah. like, maybe we need to spend some time and really retrain drivers on – you know, it's not acceptable to be right up on somebody's back bumper. It's just not. It's not. It's not that it's rude. It's just that it's dangerous.
0: I had somebody that exact point. I was tweeting out about a crash on I seventy at Havana this morning. Sat there for the crash. Sat there for an hour, and this Twitter person was was saying that it's another probably a tailgater that crashed into somebody and then has caused this delay for everybody else. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it was a tailgating crash, however. I have seen and I replied back to this person saying I, I have never seen the level of aggressive driving, not only on the highways, but also in a parking lot yesterday while I was with my daughter going over to the office max, getting making some copies. I mean, even in the parking lot of this place, there's people aggressively driving. It's true. I mean, and especially,
1: like, not this time of year so much, but when you get closer to Black Friday and you watch people in the parking lot try to get to the last spot that's still, like, 100 yards away from the closest entrance to the mall, and people are speeding and honking and getting very upset and tailgating the person who's trying to back out. So all of a sudden, this person has a very small window to reverse and get out of the
0: parking lot. And and I also have... um Noticed something else, Joseph, that you have ditched the Patriots hat for the Boston Bruins hat. That, that has not escaped me. That is correct. Um, <laughs> I did. I want you
1: to be aware. I did wear the Patriots hat on Monday, but we are on to Super Bowl Fifty Three.
0: You should have. You should have worn it upside down. <laughs> that or just out of your reach, just like that pass that Tom Brady missed, oh. just out of his reach. I've already spent
1: the entire week in the pit of misery, man. I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what else to do at this point.
0: Yeah, really, there isn't there isn't much to do.
1: But we retained McDaniel's. He's not going to the Colts. We finally got our friend revenge for Deflate Gate.
0: I can't. Uh, do you? On a, but you know what? Uh, on that note, I thought it was. All right, my, my 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 feelings aside of Mr. McDaniels, but there were two <laughs> other coaches that actually signed up with the Colts. They actually signed to the Colts because they thought they were going to be working for Josh, and then he bails on not only the team, but also those two coaches that had a verbal commitment from Josh that he was going to go there to Indianapolis, and then he's, uh, nope, I'm out.
1: We will welcome those coaches with open arms to New England uh, (laughs) if they'd like to join us. There's no way Tom Brady's last Super Bowl is going to end with him getting strip-sacked and missing the pass that would have given them a touchdown that could have helped him win the game. Right.
0: My favorite story, traffic story of the week here, Joseph. It's a Norwegian Airlines plane with 84 plumbers on board was forced to make an emergency landing because the plane had toilet problems. The Norwegian flight from Oslo to Munich had to land so that it could be fixed. The plumbers said that they would have liked to fix the toilet themselves, but were unable to because they didn't have the correct equipment. So they couldn't MacGyver it and
1: just, like, fashion something out of a seat <laughs> cushion? <ocean?
0: laughs> I guess not. One funny guy said, we didn't want to take the risk of sending a plumber out at 10,000 feet. Passengers said there was a good atmosphere in the plane with the irony about the broken toilet and all the plumbers on board. Now, the plane was fixed when it was on the ground, continued on to Munich. Now, dabbling in plumbing as I've done. I, I wouldn't call myself a full-fledged plumber, but I've plumbed. I've done some plumbing. Um, plumbed. I've, I've plumbed. <laughs> I've done a little plumbed. Uh, anyway, it's, it, it's it's fun. Actually, I enjoy it very much. <laughs> but it's true. If you don't have the right tools when you start doing the plumb, if you start working on a water pipe, you're going to get all wet. Okay. I mean, that's all there is to it. Lesson learned. Yes. Ford is selling their high-end Lincoln Navigator so fast they're having trouble keeping up with demand. Navigator sales make up a tiny share of Ford's overall total sales. They sold slightly less than 1,300 out of the 161,000 cars the company sold in January. you believe that? They sold 161,000 cars in January? It's impressive. But Navigator sold almost double this January over January 2017. That's even though Ford's overall sales have been dropping by 6.5%. And get this, 84% of Lincoln buyers opted for the two most expensive level trims, uh, the Reserve and the Black level trim. Those packages can bring the price of that Lincoln Navigator roughly to ninety to to $100,000. Well,
1: you figure when customers are buying something of that value, they're pretty discerning, but they're also talking to their other friends who have bought a car of that value and trying to find out what's the best fit. And so you kind of can get beneath the surface of, go with the Beamer, go with the Mercedes, and really find something that's like a little bit more comfortable, but also a little bit more under the radar.
0: I wonder how much of that has to do with also some tax incentive money uh, that's coming back to some people, especially at the higher end, they can afford those sort of cars.
1: I would agree with that. And then also the McConaughey commercials, like the the visibility for Lincoln, I think is out there a lot more than it was even five years ago.
0: Because everybody wants to be like him. All right, you know, and actually All right. <laughs> no, uh no, there's the old joke about uh Matthew McConaughey and and how does Matthew McConaughey make a left? You go, "All right, all right, all right." Because, you know, three rights make a left. Okey. Okay. okay. Uh, anyway, uh anyway, okay, so Kelly Blue Book says the success of the Navigator is largely due to the updated design which has more space inside, has highly adjustable seats that offer heating, cooling, and massage. Oh, okay. I've never heard of cooling seats. My wife loves my heated seats in the Volt. I have a hard time justifying that kind of money, though, on any car. I, I, I don't think I could spend $100,000. I like new cars as much as the next guy. I, I really do, but I, I don't think I could drive around $100,000. Could you drive around $100,000? It does
1: seem like a lot of pressure when you put it that way. It, Maybe then, I would pay somebody to drive a $100,000 car around
0: for me. And then you're driving, even if you win the lottery, you're driving down the highway and then here it comes a bam, you get you get a chip in the windshield or you, you you get behind a gravel truck and bam, it's 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 I mean I can't yes. I can't justify that. I agree. That's just terrible. So the website NerdWallet says using Uber Is almost as cheap as driving to work, and it has everything to do with parking.
1: Before we even get into this, do you believe this?
0: Uh, No, I had a hard time with this one. Me too. I had a really hard time
1: with this one. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page here. So
0: the report shows that commuting to work in the Denver-Aurora-Lakewood area costs about $106 per week. They factored in the cost of insurance, maintenance, gas, and parking. And by contrast, it estimates that an Uber, if you took that or Lyft would cost about $119 a week, with the typical commute in the scenario being about 8.5 miles each way. NerdWallet says Uber is way more expensive than driving in more spread-out cities like Phoenix or Dallas. And on the other end, Uber is cheaper than driving in cities like San Francisco and New York. And Denver is right there in the middle. The biggest difference, they say, between the areas is the cost of parking. Now, in Phoenix, they say the parking in, like, downtown or around downtown... It can be as low as like nineteen dollars a week, which is which is pretty good if you're working downtown. Mm-hmm. In Denver, it's about forty eight dollars a week. We get free parking here at our building.
1: I didn't realize what a perk that would be in a in a city like this until I started talking to some. Obviously, you guys with cars, yeah. I, free parking is huge in this area. Yes,
0: huge. In San Francisco, it's around $100 a week, and as the theory goes, people start giving up their cars when it gets too expensive to drive them, and they'll look for other modes, whether it's to park free at a transit, let's say a train station, and then take the train on in, and and, uh, when I was living downtown... I remember there was a parking uh, I was working at this uh, building. It was when I was at AirWatch America doing traffic stuff. Okay. And the building, I think it was 100 bucks a month to park there. Um, And so I mean I was close enough to ride my bike, so I would ride my bike in um, to work, which was a better option. And if I needed to park, I would just find one of the cheaper surface lots and just park there.
1: What's fascinating about this city in particular is that if you move into one of the high rises in the downtown area, they charge you the base rent, but then they make you pay for a parking spot in the garage. Because otherwise, if you don't, you're at the mercy of trying to find street parking in an area that's super congested. So you wind up paying an additional eighty five dollars a month. To your point, hundred dollars a month, depending on where you live, just so you can have parking at your home.
0: Yeah, we have. We have I remember uh, in uh, in this little this tiny studio, us talking about parking uh, in around this area and talking about parking specifically. How uh, some companies have been giving people who don't drive. Mm-hmm. That incentive, uh, giving them the money, basically, of what it would cost for, uh, for that parking fee. So they're getting a little, like for you, if you walk to work, you yeah. would get the bonus of a certain amount of money depending on how much it might park in this general area. And I would not get that fee because I drive here and I park at the building.
1: Right. And for some people, I mean, l- literally getting paid not to drive to work is a perk of going to work.
0: Right. But it's another one of those incentives that we've been talking about that maybe that's going to be the key when, when there's more and more of these, these high-rise buildings and more um, densely packed neighborhoods that are happening here in Denver as parking becomes more of a, more of an issue because they've, they're, they're putting up these buildings and they're not really – adding the additional parking around them correct um yep and so therefore it puts a lot of pressure on the side streets uh, that already don't have a whole lot of parking and therefore there's also uh, they're taking away some of the street parking especially in downtown in lieu of building these high buildings even if they don't put parking lots in them or not they're still taking a surface street lot that might hold uh, 100 or 200 cars and they're putting up a 40-story building
1: yep and they're only giving you one space per unit, so if you have two cars, I mean, all of a sudden you're paying $200 a week just to keep your car at home, and then, heaven forbid, you also have to pay for parking when you go for, go to work.
0: Yeah, it's going to start turning into Queens or Manhattan or Brooklyn, where they're going to have actually buildings just dedicated for parking.
1: I mean, we mentioned on the last podcast, I'm going to take my driving test, but the more I look at it, it's like, it's nice to have the license, but when am I going to use it? I would rather walk to work, given the climate down here.
0: Yeah, but well, you still got to have the license. It's true. How do you go to the airport? How do you check in on your flight? Right. Uber. Well, no, I mean, when you're going to the, when you're getting through security, how do you get through the TSA? Oh, the non-driver ID. Just a state ID. That's what you have. That's what I have. That's pretty embarrassing, <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? Do <laughs> I mean, you actually pull that out and show it to people? I mean, a lot of people don't even notice.
1: <laughs> it, it, truthfully, I mean, it looks identical to a driver's license. I thought,
0: isn't it vertical though? No,
1: that's that's a youth ID. Oh, I'm not 18, Jason. Okay, I just don't
0: have a license. <laughs> okay. Well, did you see the SpaceX rocket launch yesterday? Absolutely. It was phenomenal. Just phenomenal. Elon Musk launched one of his own personal Tesla roadsters, this convertible roadster, into space, complete with a crash test dummy in the driver's seat, wearing a prototype SpaceX space suit, while sitting in the driver's seat of this car. It is so great. It it really makes it the first car in space. He did it. He did do it. He did it. I've heard of pigs in space, but I have never seen cars in space. I've heard of
1: monkeys in space.
0: Yes, uh, the car was was fitted with a bunch of cameras, and has that. Did you see that tiny little version of itself sitting on the dashboard? No. Oh yeah. So they have a tiny because you could watch it as after it was in space. So you can there's cameras all over it, so you can watch it. And then on the radio there's a David David Bowie song, Space Oddity, playing on repeat until the battery runs out. But you can't hear it because well, it's, it's a vacuum of space. You need you need air to be able to hear the sound. Right. So even though it's playing, it's kind of ridiculous for them to play it because you can't hear it. It's true. Right? Uh, but you could log in right now to the SpaceX website and either go see the, the launch video or the, the video that was just playing this morning. I, I don't know if you could still see the live stream. I don't know if it's close enough still mm-hmm. to get a live stream back from that thing. But I was watching the live stream. It was so cool. I posted a picture on my Instagram, at Denver7Traffic, of the spaceman in the car with the Earth right behind him.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. And really, the launch video is the one to me that's the highlight. Because I, it, it's just been a while since a rocket launch meant something. But this really is the next frontier in private space travel.
0: Yeah, it really is. And, you know, going to that, that whole launch thing, what struck me was what was the millennial crowd. Yes. Um yep. it, it was really like a tech-like atmosphere during that launch, and and the launch announcers were much of the same thing. So there was a large crowd that that they would not stop cheering once that thing took off, and, and every time there was some kind of potentially disastrous procedure, the crowd would quiet down a little bit and then erupt in cheering again. It was great. They I mean they went nuts when the boosters landed. You see those boosters? Those boosters came back down to the ground, which was really, truly remarkable. I, I can't imagine that. I, I I mean, they landed right back there at the at the Kennedy Space Center. Yep. The third one crashed in the ocean, uh, and it didn't land on that drone ship. So I guess, well, as Meatloaf used to say, two out of three ain't bad. Um, <laughs> but Still it, says it if you listen to all these things. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. But they went nuts every time that something cool happened. And, and, and for me, it's different than when I was watching... Like the space shuttle. I was a huge fan of the space shuttle that but but NASA was in charge of that. Right. Right? The space agency. And it was more structured and it was more rigid. It wasn't screaming and yelling. It was a Phew. uh the vehicle's approaching stage separation. <sniffs> Roger that. Stage separation. And Mark we have the sexual stage. So it was it was more of a calm this is happening. That is happening quiet room.
1: Well, I think part of that is because this this particular flight didn't have a pilot, right? I mean, it was an unmanned drone, basically, they were launching into space. So there's no need for that kind of pilot-like communication sure. that you might otherwise see if you had somebody driving that rocket. And what's really, I mean, so we're in the, in the process now, Musk is going to be able to send things into space. The question is, when is he going to be able to send people into space? Because really, there is this sort of space race going on that's flown very far under the radar but we're trying to get people to Mars. Yeah. Like there are groups of people working right now to get people to Mars. It's going to happen in
0: our lifetime. Because right now, the car I guess went a little bit too far out of their original planned orbit that it was going to orbit around the sun and come back and just and then go like out to Mars or something like that, but yep. I guess now that it's it's a little bit off track so it's just drifting out into space towards the asteroid belt for presumably thousands and thousands of years or until <laughs> halley's comet or or one of the or one of the asteroids for the asteroid belt runs into it right. and crushes the thing to a to nothing just evaporates into space dust yeah uh elon musk did say that he loved the thought of his car drifting apparently endlessly through space and perhaps being discovered by an alien race millions of years in the future.
1: What a weird guy. Yeah. If, if if Elon Musk wasn't rich and was just like somebody that you worked with, he would be the weird one off in the corner talking about big things that were coming.
0: I don't know about you, but part of me really wanted, since there w- weren't any people on board, part of me really wanted to see the thing blow up. I just wanted to That's see, dark. see That's I just <laughs> wanted to see a monster explosion see the whole thing just go Pah! just just it would have been really cool and I wondered what the crowd would have done if that sort of thing happened because they were cheering everything every little bitty thing they were cheering so what if something epically bad happened how would they react to it well I
1: mean, usually when these things blow up, they're not very—it's not publicized very much, right? I mean, we've had a couple in the past, but they were such low-profile launches that it wasn't a huge deal. This thing—it was a massive rocket. Yeah. I mean, and if it had blown up, over to your point. People would have been paying attention.
0: Oh, most definitely. Uh, and, but, you know, and did you, I don't know if you saw it too, but the announcers, the two kid announcers, they were like in their 20s again. One guy kind of looked like Logan Paul, actually. Great. Uh, but they were like, yeah, the rocket. Did you see that thing go? Yeah, that was awesome, man. And they're just, I mean, it was total millennium as they're going back and forth.
1: It was the raddest <laughs> rocket launch ever. It
0: basically was. They okay. were like, yeah, man, that thing it landed. That was so cool. My kind of people. I mean, maybe not quite that Valley Girl, but it was. But it wasn't too far from that, so I, I'm not quite turning into an old man who does nothing but yell at people. I mean, to get off my lawn. Are you sure? I'm, <laughs> I'm on my way. But this launch reaction was it was a bit it was a bit weird for me to handle. So because I'm more used to the to the quiet one, to the to the old school one. But but I, I'm okay. I, I'm I. Hey, look, I'm a huge fan of space, and I'm and I'm a huge fan of moving forward. So. I'm going to have to move forward as the kids are moving the the world forward, I'm on board.
1: Would you jump on a flight to Mars?
0: Uh if like mm-hmm. if I'm 80 and and really if I you know, I've already lived basically my life, a lot less to uh you know, live for if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, why not. Let
1: me ask you a different way. Do you think fly in space is a bucket list item that's actually achievable for either one of us?
0: Uh probably more for my kids. Yeah, who are six and nine right now than for me. I was talking to my, my nine-year-old daughter yesterday about this as we were watching the video and watching this thing float in space because this is really revolutionary mm-hmm. to see a car floating in space. And I said to her that by the time you're my age in 40 years, you are going to probably have people either going to the moon or at least some type of space tourism to be able to go up and come back and do that, and that is going to be a reality in her lifetime, Uh, and then when she gets obviously older, she'll probably see people on Mars. Yes. I think so in her lifetime. If she lives to regular old age, I think she will see people on Mars. I agree. I really do, and that would be I would like to see that. You know, when you think about all the technology that, like, my grandfather, who was born in, uh, was like, 1902 or whatever it was, and, and he lived for 80 years, all the different stuff that happened in, in that time frame, from basically locomotives to the start of the automobile to when he died, mm-hmm. it's it's really uh, remarkable to see all the changes that happened. And I can't imagine the changes that happened now when my daughters were born, you know, 100 years later in the aughts. Um, (laughs) All the way to, let's say, 2080. It's going to be really interesting to see all those different changes. Not that I'll be alive to see them, but, you know, they'll be out there. You'll be watching from above, Jason. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, coming up, we have congestion all over the country. What are the most congested cities and what are some of the worst truck neck, trucker bottlenecks? if I can actually get those words out anyway. We have, all, <laughs> we have all that coming up next as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. i Daryl Orr, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber.
1: Weekend mornings are personally my favorite time. Eric Lufer and I have the most fun that we possibly can, but also we get to bring you the news of the day, the weather, sports, and there's a pet segment, so we have a good time. It's a nice way to wake up and just kind of get your news of the day for the weekend. Katie LaSalle, only on Denver 7
0: my favorite person to work with on the morning show. I mean, I
1: like every, you can't do that to me. I just did. I like everybody for different reasons. I have to say that Lisa and I have definitely formed a really fun bond. Of course, you know, anything with Lisa is highly entertaining. Uh, If you've ever ridden with her in a car, it's slightly terrifying. I think the first time I went to Core Power with her, she was telling me how she had gotten in an accident. And then coincidentally, as she was parking, she got in another accident (laughs) as we were outside of Core Power. So um, we have gotten to know each other really well and definitely formed a great friendship. Molly Hendrickson, only on Denver 7.
0: Welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast where I found this story, Joseph. Police in Sweden, they stopped a bus when they saw it driving down the road with over a foot of snow on the roof. Police say they estimate the snow weighed nearly 3,000 pounds. They stopped the bus uh, saying that the snow was a safety concern if it slid off the roof and either onto a person or onto a car. The coach driver was ticketed for recklessness and was required to remove the snow before continuing on. It's not the first time we've seen stories like this. We, we did a story, I remember, uh, a while back from Canada, where a guy was driving with, what, like six or eight inches of snow on his roof, mm-hmm. and he got a ticket. I see that, well, not that we've had a real snowy winter here this year. Not
1: yet. But but,
0: but uh, I, see, I see that all the time here.
1: Give us one good snowstorm, and you'll have plenty of people not clearing their car off and just driving around with it. And you, my... It is reckless. I'm sorry. Like, when that snow comes off your car, it's going to hit the driver behind you. And if the driver behind you isn't expecting six feet of ice or three feet of ice or however much ice to hit them directly in the windshield, they're probably going to be startled.
0: Some of my favorite video is watching semi-trucks driving down the interstate and then big chunks of snow come up and fly up in the air and then land on the uh, pavement below. Mm -hmm. It is great. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. The traffic data collection company, Inrix, they came out with their annual look at the most congested cities in the world. They looked at traffic congestion in 1,360 cities in 38 countries around the world. The slowest traffic, they say, in the world, Oaxa, uh, Oaxa Mexico, at 3.6 miles per hour. The average oh, my hu- God. The average human walk, walk, you know, walks at about three miles an hour.
1: I was going to say, I walk four miles an hour at the gym there sometimes. There you go rarely.
0: They say Belfast in Northern Ireland was the slowest major city with an average of 3.3 miles an hour.
1: <laughs> you believe that? That's that's incredible.
0: On average they say here in the United States, we spend an hour a week stuck in traffic. Now the most congested cities in the world I mean I'm I'm sure it's everybody probably knows that it's Los Angeles. Yeah. Yep. They say drivers spend, get this, 102 hours in congestion driving in and around L.A. By far, that is the worst on the list.
1: See, and that's always been the deterrent to moving to Los Angeles for me. Why would I ever want to sit in traffic that much?
0: Right, unless you could live right next to your work. Exactly. Now, Los Angeles, even though it was number one not only this year, but it was also number one last year, in the number two spot, Moscow spending an average of 91 hours of uh, in traffic congestion. They are tied with New York City at 91 hours of congestion, but New York City was given the number three spot due to, I guess, some other factors. Okay. Sao Paulo, Brazil, comes in at number four at 86 hours of congestion, and San Francisco comes in at number five in the world with 79 hours of congestion. So you have, obviously, two California cities there in the top five in the world. Now, the rest of the top ten include Bogota at number six, London at number seven, Magnitogorsk. I think I'm close. It's in Russia. It's number eight. I think, look, if we've never heard of the city and we can't pronounce it, it shouldn't be on the list.
1: I agree. I also feel like the whole reason we're doing this story is so you could try to
0: pronounce. Magnit. Torg, oryk Works, uh,
1: uh, Magnitogorsk. I don't know.
0: <laughs> this is why I'm not an anchor. Just making stuff up over here. Another unheard city in Russia, Erga, is number nine, and Atlanta comes in at number ten.
1: Impressive to see Atlanta on this list. Also not surprising.
0: Yes, I'm not surprised at all. Now, the top ten in the United States, just the United States- is Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Atlanta, Miami at number 5, then Washington, Boston, Chicago, Seattle and Dallas. I'm surprised Houston isn't in the top 10. It is right it is I think it's at 11 or 12. Denver comes in at 21, but also on the list separately from Denver is Boulder coming in at 52. They also put on the list separately Colorado Springs at 98, Greeley up in northern Colorado, which is really a small town at 149, mm-hmm. and Pueblo at 255, which I'm surprised because Pueblo is larger. I thought than Greeley, um, but they have the worst congestion, I guess, in Greeley than they do in Pueblo for for whatever reason. The best, Parkersburg, West Virginia. Uh, don't ask me where Parkersburg, West Virginia, is. They come in at three hours spent in congestion, three hours for the entire year. Okay, why? Maybe waiting to get into the oil and gas museum. Uh, Maybe that's why. Maybe it's because they uh, are are all trying to wait to get home after a Wood County Ravens football game.
1: Is that really the name of the high school football team?
0: It's not high school. It's semi-pro.
1: Oh. Oh.
0: The Wood County Ravens. Ravens. The Ravens. Uh, They do have an airport there. It's a regional airport. They have three destinations. either Charlotte, St. Augustine, or Orlando.
1: See... How much fun would it be to do a tour of, like, the smallest airports in the country? Not like the (laughs) ones that are just airfields that are a bunch of whack jobs flying around in their little one-seaters. But I'm talking, like, the airports that only have five commercial flights every day. Where you go through security, and then you walk directly from security five feet into your line at the gate. That's pretty much this place. I'm telling you, man, I would love to take a tour of these places. The snacks there... Always top-notch.
0: They say that you get on one of these little planes, and then it takes you to the rest of the world, because you have to go from this little dinky airport to either Charlotte, St. Augustine, which is really interesting, and they don't even fly to Jacksonville, which which is a bigger airport, Mm -hmm. or to Orlando. And so, Charlotte is the biggest, closest airport for those people. Parking is free, so that's a bonus. I mean, so New Bern, North
1: Carolina was very much like this, because I think they only had ten flights a day and five did you live motors- in Newburn? I did live in Newburn. How
0: was New Bern, North Carolina? It's beautiful.
1: Um coastal, old. Old would be the key adjective there. Yes. A lot of old people. Um but so the, so you can either fly to Charlotte or to Raleigh. Or Atlanta. And that's it. And again, security to the gate, five feet away. Like The same person is checking you in in both places. Savannah was a little bit bigger than that. I don't know if you've ever flown through Savannah's airport, but that kind of falls into this category as well because they're only handling like maybe 100 flights a day.
0: The great thing about the Savannah airport when you're waiting there for people to come out of the uh, terminal area right there in the main area, they have rocking chairs. (laughs) <laughs> you can sit in a rocking chair and wait for people to come off their plane, get out of the secured area, and meet you in the main part of the airport. It's very Cracker Barrel chic. I yes, it's <laughs> exactly right. And speaking of congestion, since 2002, the American Transportation Research Institute collected truck GPS data. And one of the metrics they look at is where are the worst interstate and highway bottlenecks in the country for truckers? And this in this most recent 2018 truck bottleneck report, the list of locations monitored has increased from 250 to 300. But there's no way I'm going to list all 300 bottlenecks in the country. No, sir. <laughs> Let's just go with the top ten, shall we? We'll do that next week. All right. Uh, number one, that's in the second. That's in the uh, second edition of the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, Atlanta, which was one of the high ones on the uh, congestion list. But number one for at least bottlenecks, because these are area specific areas of these cities. Okay. Uh, it's at I-285 and I-85 on the north side of Atlanta, and that is a pretty nasty place. Fort Lee, New Jersey, on I-95 at State Route 4. It's really on the east side of the George Washington Bridge there, just east of Manhattan, and most of these congested bottlenecks are really where several, one or two or three other highways or interstates all come together. Chicago, Illinois, number three, I-290 at the 90-94 interchange. Uh, Number four, Atlanta again, so they have two in the top five. I-75 at 285 on the north side of the city. And so they have the perimeter highway, which they call 285 there in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. and I-75, I-85. One comes from basically the southeast. The other comes from the southwest. They join in Atlanta. And then they split again, 85 and 75, as they continue north. But again, they intersect with 285 on the north side of the city there at the perimeter. And and the perimeter highway, 285, is just miserable. Yes. It is a terrible, terrible highway.
1: That's the same highway that got shut down by ICE a couple of years ago, correct? Yeah. People were just stranded in this awful, awful wall-to-wall traffic.
0: What's interesting is at number five is one interchange in Los Angeles. Even though they have the overall worst traffic in the entire world, their worst uh, interchange, at least for a bottleneck for truckers, is at State Route 60 and State Route 57. You would have thought it would be on, let's say... I I guess I have to use their binocular, the 5 or the 405 or something like that. But it's actually east of L.A. and just north of Anaheim there. So it's not even on one of their major interstates. Uh, Number six is Boston, where I-95 and I-90 come together. Isn't that right there in downtown? Uh,
1: yeah, it's pretty dang close to it.
0: Uh, number seven, Baltimore at the 695 and I-70. So another perimeter. When you ever hear the three, uh, numbered highway, usually they're loops or some kind of, um, connectors across a a, a city. Uh, number eight, Queens, the 490, I-495. Just about anywhere in New York is bad.
1: I was gonna say, man, there's nowhere you can drive in New York where it's like easy to get around for a newcomer.
0: But still, they, you know, with overall congestion in New York being so bad, they're in the top five of the um, of the worst in the world. But still, only one there in Queens is worse for truckers. Mm. Uh, number nine, Cincinnati, Ohio. The I see I seventy one at I seventy five. It's basically right there on the north side of the river in downtown Cincinnati. And whenever you mix a river with interstates. That you always get bad <laughs> bottlenecks. Agreed. That's that's the worst because you see the same thing at number ten for Lewis uh, Louisville, uh, or I guess I, it's Louisville here. It's I guess it's Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, yeah. Louisville. Uh, I. It's at the I sixty five and where I sixty four and seventy one all come together. Another, it's another spot downtown, uh, Louisville where you have the river right there as well. Uh, that's it for the top ten in the country. But Denver has two in the top twenty, at fourteen. The I-70 Central project, this is going to get much, much worse in the coming years when they start the construction project to take out that uh, bridge and they make it a tunnel instead. Mm-hmm. And then number 20, Denver has the interchange. They call it the mousetrap. Uh, they're at I-70 and I-25. And really, it's built out as much as, it, as they can, so there's no way to fix it at this point. Right. It's just bad.
1: It- I, we live right down the street from it. I don't know. I dread it every day. I would rather take surface streets than get stuck in that mess any day of the week.
0: It's interesting how these areas all differ a bit from the Inrix list, though, because basically one of the reasons they they release this information, the the trucker people, is to encourage cities and the states to pour money into these congested areas so they can fix them, so their trucks and I guess everybody else can get through these areas a little bit faster. So, but but it's different for overall congestion that Inrix. Measures because they're a data collection, a speed and and flow data collection company, and then this uh, American Transportation Research Institute, which is basically an advocation uh, group for uh, truckers and try to get them around Mm -hmm. a little bit faster. So let me tell you the story of Mark May. He's a self-employed carpet cleaner from western Indiana, and he was driving his car through the town of Terre Haute last summer. He spotted an Indiana State trooper zooming up from behind. And so as he started to slow down at an intersection, the, the police vehicle, the trooper, cut in front of him. And Mark thought that move was just too aggressive. He thought that if he pulled that same maneuver in front of a police officer, he, he would have earned a ticket. So Mark correctly guessed that the trooper was pulling ahead to stop another driver ahead of him. So as Mark was passing the patrol car, he signaled his displeasure of that cutoff move by waving his middle finger in the trooper's direction. Mm. Hmm. That's where it gets a little sticky. Because that universal single-digit gesture of contempt is at the center of a federal lawsuit that Mark May filed last week against the man behind the patrol car's wheel, Indiana State Police Master Trooper Matt Ames. Now, according to this legal complaint, after seeing May's middle finger, Ames, the trooper, went after Mark May, issuing him a ticket for provocation. But Mark's attorney says the middle finger gesture is his constitutional right.
1: Yes. The Founding Fathers wanted you to have permission to flip the bird to whoever, anywhere, anytime that you feel like. That's
0: exactly right, because the attorney says, while perhaps ill-advised, Mr. May's gesture, which in no way interfered with the Master Trooper's lawful activities, was fully protected by the First Amendment. The traffic stop was unreasonable under the circumstances and was made without probable cause. Because really, you should be only stopped for some type of probable cause. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the Indiana State Police have not commented yet on this lawsuit. The situation is not unique, though, because the driver in Louisiana, he was ticketed for giving a trooper the finger, but the local prosecutor denied enforcing the ticket. Uh, in 2006, in St. Johnsville, New York, a man named John Schwartz was riding in his car with his wife when he spotted some police officers using a radar gun at an intersection. So Schwartz was didn't like that very much. So he flashed his middle finger, and he was then later arrested for disorderly conduct. Those charges were later dropped, but Schwartz sued the officers for violating his civil rights. What we've learned here is a lot
1: of people have flipped off police officers in the past.
0: Yes, they have. And it's weird because we have a climate here in Metro Denver, in Colorado in general now. After about five weeks, we've had three sheriff's deputies, different deputies from different departments, all shot to death in different incidents. And there's been huge pours out of support for the police departments and the sheriffs and the first responders and all that. You see the people standing up, you see the saluting, you see the highways shut down for these funeral processions so there's a lot of outpouring of support for the police but then you also have a handful of people here who are also on the other side so looking at this with that you know 360 degree lens as we like right. to say around here now um you're seeing both sides of that issue
1: oh i agree i mean i think in there is definitely a climate on the other side of it as much as we see po- support for police officers of people who just have no respect for police whatsoever and are trying to stay away from them as much as possible and are willing to take violent measures to keep that distance between themselves and the police.
0: Now, according to uh, May's lawsuit filed in the Southern District of Indiana, after the gesture, Ames pursued May in his patrol car, turning on his flashing lights to signal the stop, so Mark pulled over into a parking lot, and the trooper followed. The master trooper told Mr. May that it was illegal to, quote, give him the finger to a law enforcement officer, and May says the trooper was quite angry and loud and that Mr. May was concerned about the master trooper's demeanor. May was given a ticket for provocation and was also issued a warning ticket for not using his turn signal as he entered the parking lot when he was pulled over. That is ridiculous. That is going a little bit too far and above your authority, sir. Agreed. Uh, it is within his right to write all of those tickets, though, right? Yeah, I guess he could take it to court, and that's exactly what he did. Now, this provocation offense, according to the Indiana Criminal Code, is issued when a person, quote, recklessly, knowingly, or intentionally engages in conduct that is likely to provoke a reasonable person to commit battery, unquote. That's a pretty interesting law right there, because that, I, I, that's pretty general. I think there could be a lot of behaviors that could fall under the... Provocation offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you looked at me weird, and that makes me want to beat the hell out of you. Yep. Um, your face is horrible looking, or you smell because you tooted on me, and that provoked me, and now I'm going to beat you up. Um, where does it? Where does that end? That, I mean, that I seems think pretty we just, broad. We just found the end of it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's punishable with a $500 fine. A higher court sided with Mr. May, tossing out this conviction. And the county prosecutor didn't refile the case. So the charges were dismissed with prejudice, he says. Although May won his legal battle there in the criminal court, the court appearances cost him two days' work. So he's suing for unspecified damages and attorney's fees so he can get that money back. Now, I personally think it's disrespectful. It's not very nice to give people the finger. Mm -hmm. Unless you're doing it like my wife used to do it in a joking way at her newsroom when, when somebody would... You know, tell her a joke. You know, tell her something, and then you know how you do. He's like, "Yeah, give him the finger." Right? Right. It's just a joking kind of way. And and while it it might be a little disrespectful if you're doing it in an anger sort of way, there's.
1: But I mean, if you're behind the wheel of a vehicle, right? There are only so many things you can do to get another driver's attention and voice your displeasure. Right. One of them is flip them off. Uh, the other ones would be honk. I honk, yeah. And or yell, I guess. Or if you ram your, your car down. into theirs. Exactly. And you're behind the <laughs> that's just it. You're behind the wheel of a vehicle, which is, in theory, a deadly weapon. Am I wrong in right. saying? No, that? definitely. So I think that threats made when you're behind the wheel of a vehicle should be taken seriously, even if it's something as minor as flipping the bird. Like yeah. you may say it's just a stress reliever, but how am I supposed to know that on the other side of your middle finger? I'm not saying I get flipped off a lot when I'm driving, <laughs> uh, but maybe I do.
0: But when you do, then, you know what, if if you get flipped off, well, then that doesn't really give you the right, let's say, even if you're the police officer, to then take that aggression and say, you can't do that to me, and then use your authority against that other person for for showing their displeasure. Yeah. If, somebody, if, if two people don't like each other, that's fine. If somebody doesn't like me, that's fine. If they want to give me the finger, okay, I'll just move on with my life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hurt me at all. But for some other people... It obviously affects them in a in in a way that they have to jump ugly on, on that person that gave them the finger. Very sensitive about the finger, are you? I'm not. <laughs> Some people I, I've gotten it occasionally. Some people mainly when I'm driving 35 in my 35 mile an hour speed limit neighborhood that I don't want people to go speeding through.
1: We've talked about that before. Yes, yes, sir. we have.
0: Because uh, there's many times my behavior has been corrected by my girls. They say, "Daddy, that's that. This is their this is their um, measurement here." I say, Daddy, that's not sweet, that's not nice, and that's not princessy. Oh. That is a word. That's an actual word in my house, princessy. Well. It means you're not acting like Cinderella or Snow White or somebody like that. God, enjoy that age while it lasts, man. <laughs> <laughs> if I had boys, they'd probably promote me doing bad behavior. Yes, but I don't. Would. I have girls who tell me to, um, well, act princessy. There you have it. This is the Princessy Podcast now, right? The Princessy Podcast. Well, that's it. I guess that wraps it up for another beautiful episode here of the uh, of the podcast. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, at Denver7Traffic is my Twitter handle. Uh, I'm at JosephDenver7. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for being here. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. I'm clean car advocate Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.